0: This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, I said we would start this morning looking at life intention. So if any of you are feeling like your intention, then you've come to the right place. Because uh, God addresses our tension, God addresses our fears. God addresses our worries. So we're going to go into 1 John. So if you want your Bible, let's go exactly there. Uh, jump into 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That's where we're going to begin. And one of the things that I think we're facing, uh, and I actually enjoy that this reading hits at this time. Seven days ago, we were all doing what? Taking naps. Nice. <laughs> Someone being too honest with us this morning uh, to sit there and to see it. We were all discussing something very, well, pertinent. He is risen. Alleluia, all right, just waiting to see. The alleluias are still there, but did you feel they're a little bit, a little subdued? Yeah, just a little subdued. So again, seven days has turned us from he is risen... Yeah, see, you knew it this time, so you had the hallelujah ready to go. It took us from that to where we were just a few moments ago, a little bit subdued. And it does that because in the last seven days, you guys all experienced life. And in experiencing life, you faced questions, some of which you could answer and some of which uh, you did answer, but it turns out you answered uh, maybe poorly. Uh, Or some of you answered things and you answered right, but that just made things a little bit more difficult. Uh, Sometimes even our answers, things don't always get easier. It raises more questions for us. So we bring ourselves to this morning going, Easter was great because it all seemed perfectly aligned, and then I didn't know exactly what to do with everything that happened after. So in the first John, we find ourselves, and John's writing to the church in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Uh, He's writing probably in a time period somewhere between 85 to 95 AD. So decades have passed since Jesus' resurrection. And John's writing to a people in those churches, churches that he knows, churches that he's encouraging. Remember, he uses the phrase, little children, to start chapter 2. Not because he's writing to six-year-olds, it's because he's writing to people that he considers to be his spiritual children. Yeah, these are his children. He writes, I care about you, and I care that you faced a Monday that felt like, eh. I care that you had an Easter morning that didn't feel very celebratory, because you were going through, I care that you lost a loved one and you didn't know how to respond. He's addressing these challenges. So in we go, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See, John opens to these churches. He says, I actually want your joy to be complete. Some of you on Easter, your joy was complete. You were ready to go. And then seven days happened, uh, and there were a a few things. I I want you to paint this picture. How many of you have gotten a new car, either new to you or brand new? Just you've had a, a vehicle, and then it was new. Now, getting a new car can be joyful, but is getting a new car always complete joy? Because you got the keys. Now, what if I did this for you? What if I gave you the new car with the keys and I give you one other sheet of paper? I think it'll make you happy. The title. Clean. Yeah. Clean title. How many of you like that joy a little bit more? Yeah, some of you got the new car. You're like, well, how much was the payment on it? What, what strings are attached to it? See, what you have in John Rainey's, I want you not just to have joy. I want your joy to be complete. We live in a world now where we talk sometimes about, oh, this will make you feel happy, but we don't talk about the strings. John's writing to his church, and he goes, I want to make sure you know all the strings are taken care of. I want you to know everything is arranged. You just have to do one of the hardest things for human beings. You've got to listen. You've got to be willing to hear what God has done and what he's completed, and then you're going to need to hear it again, and you're going to need to hear it again. See this tension uh, kind of moves us back and forth to sit there. John writes to the church because some people don't know how to address real questions in their life. I mean, for, think for example, how can a Sunday school teacher, teachers, church leaders, and people in positions of authority who who seem to be wonderful somehow overnight turn their backs on the very thing that they were teaching, leading, and directing? I mean, how is it that someone that you thought was like the best person at some point in your life, I am assuming, sadly, you have been crossed by someone in church that offended you? At some point. I mean, it could be in this church or a different one. But at some point, someone in church let you down, and you're left going, well, I thought they were Easter people. So if they were Easter people and happiness, and they were also living in this this sin-free world, why is it that they got caught up in garbage? Because if they were in a church where... We were taught that God is present, that God heals, that God is out of his tomb, that he's not on the cross, that things are better. Why is it that I feel like this? And many times the church just goes, Well, you know, just just go, go, go to sleep, sleep on it tomorrow. You'll feel you'll feel better. And you wake up and you say, No, I don't. I didn't sleep much last night because I'm still thinking about what they said, when they said it, how they said it, and the fact that they're an authority person that I looked up to, and somehow they thought it was appropriate to do what they did. And so we find ourselves in tension. Well, the scriptures aren't just speaking to those in 85 to 95 AD in modern-day Turkey. The text tells us that we've got this challenge for us. It says, this is the message we've heard. So... For John to help unpack to the people, how do we handle this? He says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Okay, well, that helps a little bit, but now I'm still struggling. The person who brought darkness to my heart, to my mind, if there's no darkness in God, then what do I do with that? What do I do with that person? What do I do with that person who brought darkness into my life if they're in church, which I was told church is always a good, happy place, right? That's what I was told. I was here on Easter, I heard it, shouts of Hosanna that transformed into hallelujahs. He's risen, right? Yes, see, I caught you guys. I, I sneaked it. no one knew to say he's risen indeed, because I, I just changed one word at the beginning. So Everyone's like, I don't know. Can I respond? We're in the middle of a sermon now. He's not prompting me clearly. So I, I, I don't quite know what to do. So I'll just be silent, which is sometimes what we do in our lives, right? I feel like I could answer the challenge that person has, but I don't quite know if I should speak. So probably the safest thing to do is have a good day. And at least walk away, hopefully, with a smile. Although if they're really angry at you, don't smile, because that'll make them more upset. So just walk away with a a muted expression that just shows that you acknowledge they exist and, and you value them, but it doesn't speak more. I mean, we've all played this game of how do I deal with challenge how do i deal with concern well john speaks directly into division in our life and he says if we have fellowship with him that is with christ if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth see this is some tension because now what john's doing to the church is he says if you're living in a way that isn't complete joy if you're not experiencing complete joy And don't be confused what complete joy is. Complete joy is understanding Christ has you and he has risen indeed, and all God's people said, Hallelujah! Yeah, see, now you're ready. That's complete joy to understand the full picture. But boy, it's tough to understand how that is. There's no half fellowship in the church. Jesus doesn't talk about you being able to kind of come halfway to him. It says in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, so if you are with Christ and doing things that are of darkness, which think back to John's gospel, John is always talking in his gospel about light and dark. This is why we get this reading as well. In a day where we even heard our children talking about the creation narrative, God brings light. God's word is a light to our path, the psalmist writes. Throughout the scriptures, The God wants to illuminate the challenge. But inside the congregation, inside this congregation, congregations across our county, across our state, and throughout the world, there are eyes and ears that speak of fellowship with God, yet they don't honor the vocations God has given them. They don't honor what it is to be a mother. They don't honor what it is to be a father. They don't honor what it is to be an employee or an employer. There's always someone else to blame. Things aren't going right in the family? Well, that's because I wasn't taught that. Something doesn't work at work? Well, that's because I didn't get proper instruction. Maybe it is sometimes that we just need to realize that life is this side of glory, what? It's broken. There is brokenness, and God brings to us this new picture of letting the light of Christ move forward for us. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, now, what does walking require? Anyone know? Some of you who, who struggle with joints and pains, you're like, there's a lot more to walking than I ever knew. Now that I've been in physical therapy, I had no idea how many muscles were involved in this thing called walking. You actually have to do what to walk? Okay, get up? Yeah, you have to think about it. This is something some people, uh, I, and I've learned this, having visited many people, they're like, I want to walk. Uh, Janice Bussey, those of you who her, like the, the one thing Janice taught me, uh, I, I sat there, there's many things she taught me, but she would look at me and she goes, Pastor? did you know people think I can't walk? She goes, I have lived more years than many people on this earth. She goes, I know very well how to walk. But when I tell my body to do it, it doesn't do it. She goes, I say, leg, move. And I think it's moved. So I go forward, but my leg hasn't moved she just talk about the challenges. We'll talk about walking in our own lives, the challenge of walking. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, well, to walk in the light means you actually have to start moving with Christ. You actually have to do some things. Because if you're not moving and things are going ahead, you may just what? You may just fall over. You may just flip. And then what people will invariably do is rather than say, oops, well, it was it was the floor. Did you see this huge hole in the cement here? You all come down walking later, like, what hole in the world is Pastor talking about that he tripped? Well, it was a cable. There's no cables here. It was a, piece, it was a carpet square. Kids must have thrown over here. There's no carpet square. We always come up with these challenges, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Do you see immediately John makes this move where he says, if you want to walk with Christ, you need to understand you are made whole because of the blood of Christ. That this is what draws you back together. That this cross matters seven days after Easter and it also matters seven days before Easter. Because the power of the cross moves backwards and forward. It moves across history and changes all of time for us. See, as we walk in the light, we can never forget that we are children that walk by grace. This is how we move. We move because God is caring for us. Now, most of you are familiar with these verses because we've used them on many Sunday mornings. But you maybe just didn't always hear them in their full setting. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. There's a lot of people in church who are very content to give God Sunday mornings but they want to hold on to Friday night because they earned it. They want to hold on to Saturday night. I mean, Pastor, really? 9.30? Could we have a little bit later service? I need to have my Saturday night. Boy, when we finally get a building, then we could have a later service too. We can still have an early one, but then we could have a later one so I could really party a little more on Saturday night. That'd be easier for... <laughs> Somebody said it. Because the best church of all is the church of, wait a second, Well, do you all know that one? <laughs> you, the hallelujahs we sometimes doubt on, but church of me, you guys knew really, really too well. But this is our struggle. The tension of, sometimes we just want everyone to do what we want. We just want it to be our way. My way or the highway. Yeah, that's right. You know, just take off. You don't want to do it my way. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. See, if we say that Friday night, and please realize Friday night's just a euphemism for the night where you decide that you're going to put God's commands in a bin and you're going to go enjoy some debauchery because you earned it. And if you don't know what debauchery is, read the Sermon on the Mount again and find out how little it takes for us to wander from God. Do we always honor our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we always guard the property of others? Do we always protect the hearts of others? Do we care that other marriages actually be picked up, even if it's not our own? Do we actually honor and care for something that isn't ours because it's someone else's property? Do we actually realize that this thing right now that I'm walking around with, I'm walking, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I see lots of other temples in my presence? That God actually did make temples all around me, and the things that I say to another temple of the Holy Spirit, even if I don't like the person I'm actually cursing at a at a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, think about that the next time you curse at somebody. You just cursed at one of God's temples. You're like, whoa, never thought about it that way. Yeah, I know. Because so easily we get distracted because we live in tension. We live in the tension of, well, I was told on Easter it's all good, but now I feel like I really should tell them a piece of my mind, or all of my mind, maybe. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, Who's faithful? He is faithful and, and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then verse 10, we don't always read 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. There are moments in our life that we've turned God into a liar. Oh, I didn't sin. That wasn't something wrong. Uh, that, was just in, that was in fun. That was in jest. You, you heard me as if it was bad. Be- you heard as if that I was doing something that's against what God would instruct me to do, but that was only, that was just for play. That wasn't, I mean, I, I would know better than that. You all have things in your life, and I know it's all of you, including myself, things I do not want others to know I've been involved in. We just do. <laughs> and we'd feel really bad if people found out the stuff we've been involved in. But for whatever reason, sometimes we're not worried that God already knows that. Because somehow we think that's the secret. God would never tell. If you've ever talked to people who are dealing with substance abuse or challenges, alcoholics are in drug recovery or others, uh, they will talk about the fact, uh, specifically, even alcoholics, they'll say, I'm an alcoholic. Why? Because they're in recovery, which means it's what—it's an ongoing process that's happening when. Yeah, right now. For those of you who don't know it, like if 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 someone who has acknowledged their alcohol, they, they live with this reality. This is who I am, and I can't change that. But I am choosing now to go forward and live differently, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are in recovery. The sinful life that grabbed hold of us that Christ has washed us from is trying to pull you back all the time. And unless you acknowledge that this thing is real in your life, the challenge you face, and start living like someone who's in recovery, recovery that is here and ready and Christ fully equipped to care for you, then we are just doing what? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And if his word's not in you, it's a very different world it's a tense world that leaves us with challenge. See, we're sinners that need to be cautious about how we talk to God and what we say. Now, I I want you just in your mind's eye to go here. I want to read for you from Job. Over the coming weeks, we're going to continue in the spirit of what it is if you say the challenges of us trying to assume we know more than God. Job chapter 40, verse 1 to 5. Just listen to this verse. It's not going to display it. I just want you to listen to it. We need to be cautious because Do we say too much or do we try to be God? Job said these words. The Lord speaks to Job. For those who don't recall Job, Job's the one who in this book, Satan presents a challenge to God. Let me me question your servant Job. I bet I can make Job curse you. This is the whole setting of that book. Job won't curse him, but here's the Lord speaking to Job in Job 40, verse 1. The Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. You guys remember that from growing up as kids? I lay my hand on my... Now why do we put our hands on our mouth? Because you're afraid you're going to say something you shouldn't. Job speaking to God says, I'm going to lay my hand on my mouth. (laughs) Because I'm afraid the next thing that's going to come out is something I shouldn't even say. Job continues, says, I have spoken once and I will not answer twice but I will proceed no further. Job realized there was a point where God had come and he needed to make sure he knew that God was where God needed to be and Job needed not to step in the place of God and try to say things that God didn't do because God has said enough for us. God has said, you are my child. God said, I got little children. And that I sent to my little children my son, Jesus Christ. This is what John concludes with. As we draw to a close this morning, if we say this tension of if we say, he says, little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. See, John wrote and said, I don't want you to fall into that trap. But as as you're walking, you might. So he continues, but if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Advocate is a great word we've kind of lost sight for. Advocate is someone who speaks on your behalf. We've got great words that we don't always use, like an ombudsman. Like this is a word. Now, if you're dealing with someone who's dealing with health issues, you probably know it's someone who speaks on your behalf. Someone who goes for you, speaks for you, stands in your stead. Uh, sometimes in hospitals they'll have someone who does this for you to step in the gap for you you have someone who steps before the god who made you you have an advocate who stands in there so you don't have to go well god let me explain it you don't have to explain anything you just have to say i have someone to speak for me and then brothers and sisters step back do yourself a favor let the cross and the empty tomb do what god intended it to do speak on your behalf stop making up excuses for why it is that we found ourselves in this trap and instead realize, God, you knew all about the trap and I thank you for coming into my trap, into my snare and freeing me and I'm going to let you speak so that I might walk in your light. We have an advocate of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one who has never failed, the one who has never fallen, the one who has never slipped, the one who has never succumbed to the challenge of sin. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the payment in full. He is the one who is the ransom. He is the one who has made it all so that we are right with God the Father. And not only for our sins, not for ours only. You catch this? This Jesus isn't just after you. He's after everybody. He's after the entire world. His eyes are so large that the world that he made, he cares for it all. And I know if you've read the newspaper this morning, turned on the news, or seen other challenges, there's already dark stories. Challenges now in Syria again, whether chemical weapons have been used, and different concerns. They're like, what in the world are people doing? Did you know Jesus died for every single man, woman, and child? Every one. Whether or not they actually professed Jesus as Lord at this hour, Jesus had that big a heart. We as Christians need to stop seeing the world as divided into different world religions and realize God has one, one world, one And he hasn't returned because he wants the entire world to be won back for him, a victory he already started, a victory that was completed in that cross, and he is continuing to make that happen each and every day, ratifying again to those who have not seen that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, We hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior Jesus Christ every Sunday morning at 9.30 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the Peak of Good Living, Apex, North Carolina.